We've actually done a survey and we found that our customers are keeping our garments a little more than 10 times longer than the national average. They keep and wear a garment for an average of 2.2 years. So designed to last means not just the sustainability in making the garment, but also in what happens when it reaches the customer. You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills, and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and UK manufacturers, and offering you advice and tips on making in the UK. So let's get on with today's show. Welcome to episode number 140 of the Make It British podcast. Now, if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you will probably know that a couple of weeks ago, we held our first ever online virtual business to business trade show and conference called Make It British Live Online. If you're new to the show, well, you're also in for a treat because the most popular talk, I would say, At that show was this one that I'm going to bring to you today on the podcast. So it's with a chap called Christopher Nieper. It's actually Christopher Nieper OBE because he has been recognised for his amazing services to the UK manufacturing industry. Now, Christopher runs a family business called David Nieper, which was set up by his father and Well, just to call him a garment manufacturer or a ladies wear manufacturer really doesn't do him justice. As you will hear when you listen to this talk that Christopher did at the event, which was called Why is UK Manufacturing More Sustainable? Now, actually, although Christopher does have some amazing facts about exactly why UK manufacturing is more sustainable, This talk is so much more than that. And as someone said to me when they gave feedback about this talk was, it was such a simple but powerful message that Christopher has to give. So he talks about not only the research he's done into why UK manufacturing is more sustainable, he also talks about how he is investing not only in his manufacturing business, but in his local community. He's actually founded a local school um, and he's going to talk all about that. Now, it was recorded as part of our event. So the sound quality is a little bit iffy in places, but I hope the value that Christopher brings offsets any issues that there are in the sound quality. Now, we are going to be doing some more of these virtual live events because this one was so popular. So Keep an eye out for notifications from us. I'm going to put a link in the show notes where you can sign up to hear about any future events that we're doing because we're planning a whole series of them for 2021. But in the meantime as well, another little reminder that we've got a consumer event, so totally different. It's a virtual pop-up shop, which is happening on 30th of October till the 1st of November taking place on our Instagram and also on the Make It British website. There is a link where you can register for the event because we've got some fantastic giveaways as part of it. We've got a special gift guide we're bringing out. 
So that's the Make It British virtual pop-up where some of our amazing Make It British members will be telling you all about the fantastic gifts which you can buy this year that are made in the UK. So I'll put the link to that in the show notes too. But in the meantime, enjoy this amazing presentation from Christopher Nieper of David Nieper. Sustainability, I think, is the big item that we should all be talking about. It is the thing which is important to us all, the planet, the human cost, the social cost, and the economic cost of manufacturing. And I hope that I can share something with you now which will appeal to retailers. That you, If you're a retailer or a supply chain person or you're in manufacturing, whether you're in media, whether you're in education or government, there's something I hope here which will appeal or resonate, I hope, with all of you. So let me try and share the slides. We've got um, just a handful of slides here, which hopefully will give you a little insight into our company and what's actually going on here. Right, I don't know if something's appeared for you now. Okay, this is a scene just about um, five minutes from where I live, and I live only 15 minutes from, from the factory. And we operate in a small town in Derbyshire called Alfreton. It is a former textile area, but more importantly, it's a former coal mining area. And so we have develop things with hardworking local people in what is now one of Britain's forgotten towns. So I'm going to divide this into three areas of environment and the economic side and the social human side. So I'm afraid, can we put that on one slide please? Yeah. Now this this gentleman I think is a national treasure and he's done such an amazing job for for the for the environment for, and for raising awareness of what's going on. And the inconvenient truth really is that fashion is one of the worst polluters of the planet. We can't see it because we buy and wear clothes in this country, but actually the pollution has been going on in other parts of the world. And he has done nothing but work tirelessly for the planet all the way through. So um, just looking at some notes here, I think we need to get to an age where fast fashion actually is a thing of the past. We need to get to an age where it's slow fashion, if you like, where we buy once and buy well instead of buy cheap and throw away. I think the government's Environmental Audit Committee thinks that fashion and textiles are actually producing 1.2 billion tonnes of CO2 a year, more than all international flights and maritime shipping combined. Our textiles are filling up, of course, our oceans and our rivers with microfibers, which are poisoning our fish. That's not great, is it? Stacey Dooley has raised all this again in her Fashion's Dirty Secrets, uh, showing us how we're polluting all the, um, the, the marine life, etc. And Stella McCartney has told us that Britain is now burning 300,000 tonnes of textile a year, which of course mostly end up in landfill. And so far, the government's Environmental Audit Committee has come up with a bright suggestion that they should charge 1p tax on every garment. Personally, I think that will have zero effect. Next slide, please. So the second inconvenient cost 
is, or inconvenient truth, is the, is the economic cost. This is a view from the window of the school in our town, the secondary school in our town, which I'll explain later, has now completely changed and been rebuilt by, by us, in fact. But the, the, the economic cost of manufacturing overseas, it may seem cheaper, but look at what you're doing to Britain's, Britain's towns and Britain's communities across the Middles and North. And this was a once proud town where everybody had a job and everybody had pride in what they were doing. And it's just gone down and down and down. And this poor little school here, or not such a little school actually, had over a thousand pupils, reached the bottom 2% worst performing schools in the whole of the UK. Not good. What about jobs? What about jobs? 900,000 jobs have gone from textiles between when I started working here and today. And of course, as we've lost those jobs, we've lost our skills. And so there are very few remaining manufacturers in the UK. In fact, even though there's very few remaining, we still, manufacturing as a whole, including engineering, etc., still represents uh, more than half of British exports and about 10% of GDP, when it used to be nearly 30% of GDP. Next slide, please. And the third inconvenient truth is the human cost. Now look at this, you're probably aware of this image, this absolutely tragic disaster a few years ago where a factory collapsed, killing thousands of people. And it just highlighted what a terrible working conditions are, there are going on. Of course, we can't see that when we're buying fashion here. So that's something which is not acceptable and really can't go on. This pursuit of cheap, pursuit of cheap has led to this kind of thing. Now, we unfortunately can't control the standards that are going on in another country, even though we may try to, and we may send people out. If you're a big retailer, you might send people out or try to get some um, grip on the kind of employment standards that are going on. But, you know, we can't even control what's going on in Leicester. So how are we going to control what's going on in Bangladesh? It's just not acceptable, I think, in today's world to, to do this. Shifting the blame or shifting the responsibility overseas is shifting the problem overseas. So it's out of sight, out of mind. So I think UK manufacturing can solve a lot of these things. So to do that, if I bring you back to the very start, my parents started this company in 1961. And this is an early image of what it was like. And they designed three styles. That's all they had, three styles. And they tried to sell them and they got an order. Their first order was from John Lewis, in fact, for 16 dozen. They bought everything in dozens in those days. And this shot is taken in a Nissan hut, which we had. And it cost my parents one pound a week to rent it. And they worked in that Nissan hut, which is a former wartime Nissan hut, for about 15 years. And in doing that, they realized that the post-war generation, of course, is quite frugal. And they worked out how to make, do, and mend rather than, rather than waste. So waste not, want not, make, do, and mend. And I think that is almost the origin of our vertical manufacturing. 
we started making and then we realized we had to design things to make and then we realized we had to have salesmen or sales people then we realized we had to buy fabric then we realized we needed to reach the customers directly and so we moved into mail order and so we produced catalogs and then we started printing catalogs and we bought a catalog printing press and then as the knitwear factories disappeared overseas um, we realized we needed to start in knitwear. And as Katie's mentioned, we set up a knitwear company. We set up a fabric printing company just now, and we set up catalog printing company. Our catalog, by the way, we print now 10 million copies a year of our catalog, all of them in different languages and different currencies. So they're all mailed from this former coal mining town to private individuals, private consumers around the world. And those consumers are buying a British product made with pride here in Orphreton. So let's come back to how sustainability really bites in this. The first inconvenient truth, David Attenborough's highlight of the environment. There's a few images here which show the kind of things that are going on here. You can see at the bottom we have solar panels. We've installed solar panels on the roof of every factory. We have five factories here and everyone is solar powered. We operate, of course, just in time manufacturing, as Kate's mentioned. So we have no overproduction and we design things to last. And by design to last, I mean that are not thrown away. We've actually done a survey and we found that our customers are keeping our garments a little more than 10 times longer than the national average. They keep and wear a garment for an average of 2.2 years. So design to last means not just the sustainability in making the garment, but also in what happens when it reaches the customer. How many times do they wash it? And how do they wash it? And can they wash it in cool water rather than hot water, etc.? And then, we offer a mending service. So if they want it repairing, then we send it, they send it back. We also offer shortenings of garments and we also offer a bespoke make. So a customer can order something made, almost made to measure, and we do that. Now in the center of this slide, there's a nice little logo, which I like, uh, zero waste to landfill. We, as a company, we put absolutely nothing in landfill at all. Every scrap of waste from every factory, from every part of the building, the offices, the canteen, etc., nothing goes to landfill. So we're composting waste, we're dividing it all up into plastics, etc. That's all being recycled. So I don't see why we can't all do this, take a real responsibility for the environment and look after it around us and set an example to others in other sectors as well. Next slide. Kate's very kindly mentioned that we had some research done. We wondered what we could do to go a little bit further. So we commissioned Nottingham University um, to do some research. They call it their Energy Innovation and Collaboration Team. And they came in and looked very carefully at what we're doing in the factory. They looked at all our energy bills. They looked at our gas, electricity. They looked at how many garments we produce and calculated the number of kilowatt hours per garment which we need to produce a garment here in Alfreton. 
they then looked at what's happening nationally or internationally in other countries, especially China, Bangladesh, and Turkey. And they compared the two. And the net result is we found that we're actually using 47% less energy to produce a garment here than it would be for an equivalent garment in, say, the Far East. Now, of course, we're doing that with uh, obvious things like LED lighting and modern sewing machines and making sure the building is energy efficient, etc. But there is one really big factor which hadn't occurred to me and which applies to all of you watching this now. The, the electricity grid in the UK, the electrical grid, has a much higher proportion of renewable energy than the grid in other countries. And you may have noticed in the news recently that we've been through several weeks, I'm not sure we didn't even go through a whole month, with no coal-fired power stations running at all, where the country was 100% on renewables. Now, that's a big, a big achievement for the UK. And to give you a comparison, one unit of energy in the UK compared with one unit of energy in China, for example, China, one unit, produces 90% more greenhouse gas emissions. In Turkey, it would be 70% more greenhouse emissions. And in Bangladesh, it's 24% more greenhouse emissions. So if you do anything in the UK, you have exactly the same sewing machine as you might have in one of those other countries. You're already more energy efficient and, or more sustainable. Of course, the last factor um, hiding from us here is the long distances that are travelled. Just think about the task of bringing goods around the world from the Far East. It's something like, I think it's something like 6,000 kilometres to Turkey, 16,000 kilometres to Bangladesh, and 22,000 kilometres to China. So imagine the greenhouse gas emissions just bringing the garments to the UK. So we did that work, and that's what Nottingham told us. But there was something else hiding, next slide, which really surprised me, and it's this. Actually, producing the garment, distributing it and retailing it is only part of the story. In fact, it's only half the story or maybe even less than half the story. Now, on this slide, on the left-hand side, that is a, a bar chart showing the distribution of um, greenhouse gas emissions from different parts of the chain. So at the bottom, we've got the raw materials. So we were, the, the world, if you like, is using greenhouse gas emissions, using energy, carbon fuels to produce raw material. Then the next layer up, the lighter blue is textile production, which is actually dyeing and printing uh, fabrics. And then the level above that is the clothing production. And above that is the distribution and above that the retail. So by having the most energy efficient plant we possibly can here in Britain, all we're doing is reducing those top three elements. So the, the bar chart on the right-hand side is what's happening here. And you can see that those top three have been reduced, but the bottom two, textile production and raw materials, are still exactly the same. Next slide. So we decided we ought to try and tackle exactly that. 
and try and reduce the next level down as well, the production of the garments themselves. Now, let's come to the economic aspects, the economic, I call it responsibility that we have here to create wealth in the UK, if we possibly can. So just-in-time manufacturing, something which Kate's mentioned, why not employ local people with local skills? Our company has invested in local people for nearly 60 years. And as the years go by, you find you create skills and you pass skills from one generation to the next. And you build up a brand as an employer, an employer brand, as well as just uh, or as well as a fashion brand, a garment brand, but an employer brand. And so if you can become known as the employer of choice in your community or your area, you will attract better people to come and work with you. And that makes a hell of a difference. So by manufacturing in-house, by manufacturing here, we have just in time. And of course, that means we're never out of stock and we never have too much stock. And we don't have any terminal stock which means we don't need to have any discounts. So if we don't need any discounts, it means we can sell through nearly all of our garments at full price. I think we sell through 98% at least of the production we make is sold at full price, full retail price with no discount. So that means we can gain much more gross margin in the UK, which easily affords the cost of manufacturing here rather than in the Far East, in my opinion. Now, let's look at the next slide. This is a view inside our new textile plant, which I'm going to show you another image of it in a second. But when we come to textile production, as in printing fabrics or dyeing fabrics, this is where you need less people and more machinery, and where with high technology, we can actually save quite a lot of energy. The image on the bottom right is a printing machine for fabrics. And what this is doing is it's digital printing, it's inkjet printing. And the advantage of inkjet printing over anything else is it uses zero water. So if you think about a pair of jeans, which takes 6,000 liters of water in the dyeing and, print and making of the jeans, you can print fabric digitally with zero water, completely waterless. So there's a massive saving from the environment as well. And of course, the other advantage with digital printing is you can print exactly what you need. If you need, you don't have to buy a thousand meters or 500 meters, you can print one meter or you can print 56 meters or 123 meters or exactly what you need. And you can print it every week and you print exactly what you need week by week for what you need to sew. And then if you have multiple styles, of course, using the same fabric, this may be a pure cotton jersey we're looking at here. You can then print one after the other after the other. Uh, so you might print 150 meters of one and then 26 meters of another and then two meter sample of another. And then you produce them all one after the other, just in time, no waste, no water. Let's look at the next slide. Now, this is a slide which shows you inside this new factory. Now, this is a bit of a diversion for us because I thought we were originally a sewing fashion design house. 
And I first thought that printing involved just a digital printer, so that was great. And once we set about that, I then realized that's only a fraction of the problem. You then need all of this equipment to finish the fabrics off. What you're looking at here on the left-hand side is a machine called a stenter. And a stenter is a machine which dries out the fabric and sets the fabric and sets it at a common width. And in the foreground, in front of the stenter, is a thing called a weft straightener. And this magically looks at the fabric coming in, sees whether it's bowed or is skewed in any way, and the fabric goes through a series of six banana-shaped rollers which automatically adjust all the time to correct the skew or the bow in the fabric so that when it comes out, it's exactly straight. And that means that the garments will then hang straight and not fall to one side or the other. On the right-hand side, there's other equipment. There's a steamer and a washer, and on the far end, something called a compactor, which is what you need for um, pure cotton jersey fabrics. And I'm not aware of many compactors in the UK. This may be, in fact, certainly is the only one of these German compactors, which is a Bruckner compactor. But we need that in order to finish jersey cotton fabrics in the UK. Now, this has cost me or us one hell of a lot more than I ever thought. But anyway, there it is. And it's now working. And we're now taking it a stage further to try to make this into the greenest factory in Europe. And what we're going to do, or we're going to do actually between now and Christmas, is we're going to generate all the heat which is required for the, for the uh, steamer, etc., from air source heat pumps. And then we're going to recover the heat from within the factory with heat exchangers and water source heat pumps. And then the energy required to drive those air source heat pumps will come from solar panels on the roof. Therefore, the energy is renewable and the heat that we should generate from that energy is then recycled round and round, used again and again within the factory. And I think that if you go back to my a couple of slides ago where we had the, those bar charts showing the amount of greenhouse gas emissions or carbon used in textile production, this will reduce that to almost nil. And I think will make a massive difference. Now, I don't see why many of you couldn't do the same as this. It is... It is quite possible to do this in the UK. Now, there is one more element which we haven't referred to yet, uh, the human element, the human cost. And we're just going back, thinking about that picture of the Rana Plaza disaster and how human life is valued so low in other countries. Well, actually, all business depends on people. And our business, our organisation depends on people. Every organisation, Make It British, depends on people. And it depends on having good people. So how are we going to get good people? How are we going to get skills? How are we going to get trainees and apprentices in our area when the textile sector has nearly evaporated from the UK? Well, it depends on the next generation because they hold the future. So how are we going to get the right attitudes into the next generation? And many, many companies tell me, look, there's no point in operating here because there's no skills, there's no people. And the attitude of young people is not the same as it used to be years ago when I was a lad. Well, instead of complaining about it, let's try and do something about it next time.
So this is somebody who joined us as an apprentice a few years ago and has worked her way through. Um, go on to the next one, please. And this shows you how I think we can take a, a holistic view of education. So I've put four, four elements to this, primary schools, secondary schools, universities or colleges and apprenticeships. And those are the elements which I think we need to tackle. And all of these are initiatives which we're doing here. The primary schools, we work with all the primary schools in our area, in our town. I think we work with about 10 or 12 primary schools and we invite them all in every year and we set a project and it's called Fashion for Free. And we ask them to make something and design something on a theme. And it might be on the weather or it might be about a colour or something. And they make something for free. And for free, that means sustainably. sustainably. So they use things they can find around the home, things they can recycle. And then they come into the factory. And by doing that, I think we give them a taste of what it's like inside a, a real, a real um, manufacturing environment. And they love it. And then they go home and they tell their parents. Now, on the top right is secondary schools, which I think becomes even more significant for us because it's at secondary school that you develop those attitudes in the teenage years that are so important for employability or employability skills later on. Uh, in the bottom left, we've got universities. We run a scholarship scheme in universities where we run competitions, we set projects for fashion departments, and then we give scholarships which help towards their tuition fees. Now that is wonderful, but if you haven't got the right attitude before you get there, then we're not going to find employable graduates coming out of university. So the secondary is important and the primary is important to get the right people into university with the right attitudes and approach. And then you have some chance. Then, of course, having done all of that, you then need to align those that learning into our own sector specific, which is apprenticeships, showing, uh, teaching those skills, this is skills rather than education, skills which are relevant to the workplace. So primary, secondary and university are really transferable skills that could be used in almost any, any area or any walk of life, any career. And once you get to skills, we're training for exactly our area. Next one, please. Now this is, that school that I showed you a minute ago, which was looking like a shanty town, that school was the future of our town. That school was in the bottom 2% of the UK. It had had six head teachers in six years. It had had a teacher strike. Its deputy head was in prison for a paedophile case. It was only one third full. And I considered that that one element, that school would collapse our company after all these 60 years, we may have figured out how to make knitwear, we may have figured out how to print catalogues, etc. But if the school in the town fails the next generation, then the lack of well-qualified, well-educated young people will eventually kill us and all of the other companies, employers in our area. So we formed an education trust and we have sponsored the entire school, which has now been rebuilt and this is for 850 pupils. Um, we're very fortunate to have the Her Royal Highness of Counties of Wessex who came to open it. 
But there it is. And we're now four years in. And I can tell you the pupil intake has now tripled and the school is now oversubscribed for the first time in 30 years. Next slide. So I'm going to leave you with a thought of what all of us here could do. All of us, whether we're in retail, whether we're in manufacturing, <clears throat> whether we're in media, etc. I think the secret to environmental sustainability is getting consumers on our side. And to get consumers on our side, we need to raise awareness. It's fine for David Attenborough to talk about all these plastics and pollutions, etc. But what can I really do about it? So I would like to propose a system. Now, I've invented this. This is taken off what you would see on a fridge or a washing machine, a scheme like this, where we could rank the environmental sustainability of every garment. And this would be a label, which I think could hang on, on every single garment. Um, it's probably too complicated to measure up the social cost, the human cost, etc. But what we could look at is the number of kilowatt hours of energy used to make the garment. And if the number of kilowatt hours was low, then it would have a good environmental rating. And I think that to get it low, you'd find that you have to manufacture in Britain because that's where the grid is mostly full of um, renewables. You could get it low by using a British workforce because it's local and you don't have to bring garments 22,000 miles around the world. You could get it low by training young, young people in your own town. So if we were to embrace this, we would not only help the environment, but we would also embrace the government's number one domestic agenda, which they've called levelling up. And by the way, it isn't just this government. I think all governments have tried to do exactly the same thing for decades. They all want to level up opportunities throughout the UK, particularly outside the M25 in the Midlands and the North. All these communities, former coal mining towns like ours, former industrial towns, coastal towns. And if we can manufacture things in Britain, we're more sustainable and we level up. So I think we would have a following wind. So to summarize it all, let's make it British. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday, plus there's bonus episodes occasionally. So make sure you subscribe in your favourite podcast app. And if you're looking to find British-made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.